Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you unlock your creative potential. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! You can stay up to date and get more pep by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him, like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, AndyJPizza.com if you want to see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. I'm just going to come out and say it. This episode is about marketing your creative work. It's about growing your audience. I'm a big believer that a healthy, thriving creative practice is a pendulum that swings from focusing on the creativity and then focusing on getting it out there and getting people to taste it. I think that they influence each other. I think they are part of the same ecosystem, part of the same process. And, uh, and and we've been focused for a little while on the creative stuff. And so just to make sure we balance it out, I want to do a hard-hitting marketing episode. Like even the ancient scriptures say that there is a time for everything under the sun. There's a, there's a time for making ye album and a time for touring ye album. Look it up. It's, it's history. Uh, b- but it's true. And we, we've been doing a lot of creative stuff. We need to do a marketing episode. That's what this episode is about. But it's disguised in a uh, end-of-the-year review. Um, I kind of feel like everybody wants to put 2020 behind us. I'm, I might be the first to say it. I, I'm just going to come out and say it. 
guys, I don't think 2020 was great. I think, I think I'm just gonna, I'm be honest with you. I think it was a bad year. It's kind of crappy. Okay. Uh, and I think that that's true, but, and I realize we all want to change lanes, blow past the competition straight into 2021. But what happens if you don't put the turn signal on, check that rear view mirror and the blind spot first. That's right. Stuff that you thought was way behind you in the past is going to come crashing into your present and derail your plans. How do you think next year is going to be any different if we don't learn from this one? Now, I get it. There's a lot of stuff out of our control for 2020 and there's no guilt. There's all the grace in the world for that. Believe it when I say that. But, you know, which comedian actually blows past the competition? The one that blames it on the crowd, the environment, or the one that revisits the sets? Is it the quarterback that blames the other team or the refs? Or the, or the stadium that they played in? Or is it the one that reviews the tapes? Is it the one that blames the environment? Or is it the one that focuses on what they can control and how they respond to that environment that are actually going to make progress? Yes, 2020 was a, a I hate to use strong language, but sucky? It was sucky. It was a sucky environment to be a creative within. And, and I'll be the first to say that. But I believe that there, if we can check our metaphorical blind spots, look in the rearview mirror, look back throughout what's worked and what didn't, and put that turn signal on before we just blast into the passing lane and, and, and fast forward straight to 2021, which is what I want to do, I believe that we're going to unlock some serious growth. Yes, this is kind of a let's look back, but secretly, you know I'm so future-oriented. The truth is all of this episode, it's really three ways to grow your audience and get more people tasting the sweet creative juice that you're squeezing. I didn't mean to say that, but it's too late. It's on tape and there's nothing I can do. I wish I had an editor um, that could edit this. Jordan, don't edit this out. Um, <laughs> that's the good juice. Uh, but that's what this episode is. It's, it's, it's going to be um, a bunch of things that are going to help you grow your audience in 2021 by reviewing the tapes. Let's do it. Okay. The first thing you got to do before you start passing the competition and blowing into the future is you got to put your turn signal on, okay? Communicate where you're going. I know you're a creative. You're real mysterious. Uh, me too. You have no idea the mysteries that are inside of my mind. But the truth is, like, I've learned over time that it's a lot more effective to kind of invite people into th the best things about the work. Like, you know what the best parts of the work you're making or what you're excited about when it comes to the work that you're making. And just come out and say it. If you're in a place where you have a huge audience just 
desperate to see the next thing that you make, let it be a mystery. That's fine. Why are you listening to this podcast? For the 99.9999999999999, no, you don't know what I'm going to say, 9998% people, that's a, a Satya Baron Cohen callback, <laughs> to, to all of us who aren't in that position, do not let the greatest parts of your creativity remain a mystery. Don't wait for them to check the liner notes of the sixth song on your album and connect the dots and see the concept and oh my gosh you know the one person on the planet that's going to actually discover that don't do that don't make them don't bury the lead don't bury the gold tell them exactly what they're getting into tell them where you're trying to go in the new year before you go there so that they can kind of watch it happen and be privy to the genius that you're going to be delivering this kind of looks like there's a few different ways you can do this. One way is an elevator pitch, and then I'm going to kind of get to another one. The first one, elevator pitch. This can be really, really effective. You know, when it comes to marketing, what we're talking about, all we're talking about is how do you get new people to taste your creativity with an open mind? That's what we're talking about. Nobody is able to know if a movie is good for sure from their subjective point of view before they say yes to watching it, right? We watch, we look at Rotten Tomatoes. We ask our friends. We don't want to waste our time with new things that are going to be bad, right? But there are plenty of times where your favorite actor's in it, your favorite director, your favorite uh, uh, reviewer said it was great, and you still didn't really, it didn't do it for you, right? That happens. You got to take a risk trying new things, but you're going to check the story around this thing before you take a bite, right? Before you walk in that restaurant, you're going to make a judgment on their signage, on their location, on what you heard about them, what the Yelp reviews were. That, do you know how hard it is? How many layers people check before they try something new? Because it's their life. They don't want to waste it on something subpar. And so one of the ways that you can hack into this is by an elevator pitch that gives them context where they feel like I have a sense of whether I'm going to like this before I even take a bite. The elevator pitch, I really like elevator pitches that reference previous things, gives context saying, if you like this, then you'll like that. My favorite example of this comes from Live at the Purple Lung with Zach Galifianakis. I've mentioned it on this show before, but it's worth repeating. It, 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 it's that enjoyable. And he said he, he once got booked with uh, opening for this comedian that was just a completely different flavor of comedy. It was just ridiculous, laughable. It was comedic, uh, this pairing uh, of comedy people. Um, but uh, he said it was like saying, if you like Barry Manilow, you're going to love the insane clown posse. And I, <laughs> I feel like a lot of creatives don't do this enough, but I think it's really powerful. You know, I was listening to Wayne Coyne on All Songs Considered the other day, the lead singer of uh, Flaming Lips, talking about his new album. And I listened to the new album, and I really – I didn't, it didn't quite click for me the first time I listened to it. It's slower than most of her, their stuff. And, uh, and, and I didn't just, it just didn't make any sense because I didn't have context for it. 
But then I listened to Wayne on All Songs Considered, and he talks about how this album was from a creative prompt where they imagined Tom Petty and his band, The Heartbreakers, when they got stuck in Tulsa for like some indeterminate amount of time, they were doing odd jobs before they ever hit it big. And this album is kind of like an experiment of lost tapes from the band at that time. And that was kind of the headspace that they were trying to get in before they made it. Since I understood that context, I was like, I have to listen to it through this new lens. You know, how many times did you have to watch the music video or, or the live performance before the song clicked and made sense to you? That's the story around it. And you control that narrative. And if you put some time and energy and work into this thing, you can construct an elevator pitch that will allow this stuff to click in their minds, give them context, and invite them to take a bite, to take a drink of the squeeze. I don't know. How many times can I say squeeze in this episode? Um, my favorite one, I was doing a little research on this, from the show New Girl, you know, the Zoe Deschanel show. Um, I read that in the pitch, they said, this is the reverse threes company. Now, listening to that, that might not do anything for you, but the point of the elevator pitch, and we're going to get to this a little bit later, is to speak to your audience, to the execs the, at this company, you know, TV execs, that means something to them. They know reverse uh, Three's Company. They know Three's Company was a huge hit. They know that this is an opportunity. It gives it context. It makes it makes sense to them of like, yeah, that is totally what we need in the modern day, right? Like they speak to their audience. We're going to get into later on in this episode getting hyper-specific about who your audience is. And, and often you want references that don't make sense to everybody, but make super sense to the right people. For instance, for me, there was a time where I was kind of uh, in that elevator pitch phase of my illustration practice. And if I wanted to cut to the chase really quick, I would say my work is kind of like if uh, Mary Blair had painted all of the yellow submarine stuff for the Beatles. And you might not know who Mary Blair is. If you don't, you need to educate yourself because she was friggin' brilliant. She did all the concept work for, or not all of it, but a bunch of it for Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland um, from back in the day. And she, her colors were amazing. Her gouache uh, was so gorgeous. It, you know, her the colors she used were kind of surreal. In fact, uh, she got a lot of crap from it early on in her career. And when she came, when Walt Disney begged her to come back, she was like, I get to keep my colors the way they are. Trees are pink. And they were like, okay, you're that brilliant. And she really was. Huge influence on me. Love Mary Blair's work. And I like the shape-based stuff that she did mixed with the maximalism of the psychedelic era yellow submarine stuff and Peter Max and uh, some of the stuff from um, Pushpin and all that. Anyway, but the cutting to the chase, whether you know the reference or not, the art directors that I was trying to connect with knew what I meant. And we were doing, uh, I, we're about to launch a, 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 kids, a few kids' books in the new year, one of which I was trying to get my head around how I wanted to approach the visuals for that. And I said, feel like it's a mixture of Mary Blair meets Yellow Submarine uh, meets Howl's Moving Castle. 
And that's the kind of thing that we were trying to get. And to the editor I was working for, she was like, yeah, that's exactly what we want. And it just cuts to the chase. If for invisible things, I've thought about when we're talking about um, stories and narrative stuff around that, we've been pitching it and working with it on a bunch of different um, levels. And we talk about, for me, it's kind of like if Sixth Sense met the Fraggles, because um, <laughs> it's a kid that can see invisible things, but they're not dead. They're more like Fraggles. Um, and, uh, and that's what invisible things, my property is. And so have you put in the time to get an elevator pitch and give context to the right people? And another way you can do this, this is another idea that I really like, is creating a cover Okay, cover songs, that's what musicians do. It helps them give context. You know, usually it's some kind of reference. You know, maybe they take Britney Spears' Toxic and they do a punk version because they're subversive like that. Do you know how many versions of Britney Spears' Toxic are out there? Quit making them. That's really why I wanted to bring it up. But the truth is, uh, the, the person you choose to cover, the song you choose to cover, how you choose to cover that song says so much about your band. And whether you like cover songs or not, it is often a necessary step for gaining new audience members to give them an idea of who you are. And and the who you pick is really essential and why you do it and how you approach it. But the reason I bring it up on this podcast is have you as an illustrator ever considered doing a cover song? You know, sometimes you hear it, you know, uh, do this in your style idea, but have you ever done it for, uh, your favorite artists, artists that are obscure artists that only your target market, the art directors you want to connect with would know. And one way I could easily approach this is creating yellow submarine through the style of Mary Blair, right? Like how can you speak shorthand to the people that you want to speak to by doing a cover. You know, what would it look like? To, I've thought about what would it look like to um, do a cover of some of my favorite Paul Rand designs, some of my favorite pages from Remy Charlip. He's someone who's not very well known, but to the right people, you you start trading in names like Remy Charlip and they're like, let me lean in and hear more and take a, a tall glass of that creative juice. <laughs> that you've squeezed. Okay, that's that's when it comes to turn signal. Tell them where you're going. Give them some context before you just blast past them. We hate those people. Use your turn signal, damn it. And you can do that through an elevator pitch and you can do that through a cover song. Okay, so the second thing you want to do before changing lanes and blowing past the competition, <laughs> I like saying that, um, <laughs> is you got to check your mirrors, okay? When we're talking about mirrors, we're going to use that as a metaphor for talking about people who are a one-for-one -one reflection of you. Not All right, not one-for-one. One. They're not exactly like you, but as close to you, the people that are a ton of like you, how you can partner with them, how you can create a... Uh, a, a genre with them that helps give you context and them context at the same time. Now, I have a few different ideas that we haven't explored exactly on the podcast on this topic that uh, I've used lately to some interesting success. And um, yeah, and, and this year as looking back, this comes from some of the things I learned. 
The first one is, you know, I've always kind of, as I was trying to grow the podcast or grow, grow my Instagram, I was usually looking for individuals that I could partner with, people that are one for one, people that are uh, aligned with what I do, where we have similar uh, types of audiences, but not a complete overlap because we're not saturated with each other's audiences. That's the type of guests that I like to have on the show. And those are the people I like to collaborate with. But until 2020, I didn't really seriously explore this with brand partners. You know, what I found is there are brands that have a close one for one audience alignment. There are brands. People like Skillshare. You guys all know we've we've been making classes with Skillshare. We we love what they do. They've been a sponsor of the show for a long time. I genuinely love working with them, and I think they make great things. And I think um, that they do a lot of good things for creative people. Uh, and and the fact of the matter is the the type of people that they reach and the type of people that we want to reach on this podcast are almost exactly the same people and what we found was if i create a collaborative work with them if i make not just classes with them or or have them sponsor the show but if i actually make instagram content for them when i've done that that's some of the biggest boost in numbers that we've had on this show and on my Instagram following. Huge growth in both places from that one-for-one -one brand partnership. And so going into 2021, we are going to explore those kinds of relationships on Instagram with other brand partners. Now, there's two ways I could see this kind of playing out. The first one is giveaways. That's kind of what we've done up to now. We've given away different products or um, you know what have you through brand partner channels, and we're going to continue to do that. And in fact, I think as you go into 2021, this is just an aside, I encourage you to quit thinking about marketing as getting and start thinking about it as giving. There's a book super famous in the business world called Go Giver. It's all about this perspective change. And yes, I am telling you, go, you know, make giving your marketing strategy. So yeah, technically I'm telling you to do that in a strategic way. But the truth is, that's the world I want to live in. I don't want to live in a world where we manipulate each other to get what we want. I want to live in a world where we serve each other and we we voluntarily give each other and provide for each other with our needs. Just because we're doing that at, in a reciprocal sort of manner doesn't make it gross. You're just getting twisted in the head, man. That's the good stuff. Go into 2021 through the lens of what can I give to be valuable, to, to lay a foundation of great relationships that will help me build a thriving creative practice in the long run. Part of that can look like partnering with brand partners where there is an overlap for you. So you have to do a strategy session and say, are there brands, big or small? Small's better because the smaller they are, the closer they are to exactly what you're trying to serve, the better. The better that partnership is gonna work for, work for you. Now, here's the thing. If I partner with uh, Coca-Cola, maybe they have a way bigger following than Skillshare, but the audience is not one for one. 
And everybody that follows Coke doesn't necessarily need to follow or, or listen to my podcast. And so it will be white noise. It will be ignored. But if you find those partners in which your audience members are just waiting to taste what you have for offer, I'm not going to say squeeze. Damn it. I'd said it. Um, waiting to taste your creative juice. They're just sitting there. Find those brand partners and figure out how to do giveaways with them. Figure out ways of providing value to their audience and, and start having those conversations. The second way you can work with those brand partners is through syndication. You know, another way that we've had success is I've created stuff just for me, for my own channels, and I've worked with brand partners to uh, allow them to use that content on their feeds. So they're getting content that is relevant to their people. Um, that's the kind of value they're getting and, and we're trading. I'm getting all the exposure to their audience, but it's stuff I've already made. It's just repurposing, um, that stuff that I've already made. And that's been really successful. So brand partner, one for one brand partners. Uh, and the other one for one is creating a Census communis, okay? We're talking Latin, so you know it's going to be really juicy. Uh, you know how juicy <laughs> those freshly squeezed, I don't know who, who spoke Latin. The Romans were? I don't know. Anyway, uh, census communis. This comes from I've been doing a deep dive into my philosophy on creative taste and sensibility, and I've found that some people back in the day called Age of Reason, the Age of Reason, I think it's the 19th century, the, a, the, the, the century of taste. So you know I'm freaking out. I just found a huge back catalog of the greatest philosophical minds of all time. As many would consider people like Immanuel Kant and, and uh, Hume. And there's a whole list of these people who had volumes on taste. And I'm just sinking my teeth into this stuff. But, <laughs> but one of the things that I found was that Immanuel Kant had – this term for a, a a group of people with the same sensibility. He called them a census communis, aka a common sense. They they share a sensitivity. They share taste. And I encourage you to be the person to name your genre, create a census communis. This is how you can do it. You can create an Instagram account. You could create a, you don't even have to do that. You could create a highlight on your account. Name the highlight. Name your genre. You've heard us talk about this on the podcast recently. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to pioneer this idea of lay down tragedy. It's a term that comes from my buddy, Kyle Shealy. Hey, uh, I was talking to him and I was, I was saying, I feel like we're kind of like the opposite of stand-up comics and that we want to get tears, not laughs. And he's like, the opposite of stand-up comics, you mean uh, lay down tragics. People that listen to this show regularly have heard me talk about this a few times. But that's an example of giving context to an idea, giving a name to a census communis, a group of people that are emerging with a similar sensibility. And there's so much value that you can get from not just being a part of that genre, but pioneering it. 
And so I suggest that you find these people because, because you have this one-for-one -one audience. If they like those people, if they like Barry Manilow, they're going to love your Insane Clown Posse, right? Uh, so how do you take, for me personally, this could look like modern kids bookmakers. There is a certain sensibility when it comes to new kids books that are a totally different new thing that's only been happening in the past few years that are I'm just freaking crazy about and I and I'm excited to be part of that group of people and I am probably going to create a highlight on my Instagram that is all about kids books and it's naming this new type of kids books because if you like you know this illustrator and that illustrator and that kid's book writer, you will probably like my stuff. I just did a similar thing with podcasts on my Instagram feed on, on stories. I shared a bunch of podcasts that I really, really love. And guess what? Probably over half of those podcasts shared that post in their stories. And because it's a one-for-one, one, because it's a census communis, a huge portion of their audience is going to like my work and, 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 and are ripe to become part of my audience. And so how can you start gathering people, gathering a census communis around a similar sensibility and, uh, and invest in creating that community for the benefit of all of you. Okay, we've got a, ju they're a juicy <laughs> third one that uh, is my favorite of the list. But before we do that, here's our sponsors. Okay, I know what you're thinking. Andy, uh, I can't squeeze out any more creative juice today. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the creative juice stuff. But in another more truer sense, I'm not sorry at all. Uh, the last, the last one we're gonna do is uh, probably my favorite. Save the best for last. Uh, although I feel like we've got some juicy stuff throughout this episode. Um, the the last one, you got to check your blind spot, okay? And let me tell you how you're gonna find the blind spot that you had serving your audience in the past year or more, okay? You've heard it before a million times. Uh, from from marketers all over the globe and all over the internet saying you've got to find your niche. You've got to niche down. The niches are uh, where the riches lie. Have you heard that one? I have, unfortunately, but uh, it's true. And um, but I I'd never heard a practice that is actually extremely helpful on this front for really targeting your ideal customer. You've heard that before, right? And whether you're in a B2C, a business to customer, or a business to business business, uh, I think this is a powerful idea. And I want to give you some actionable things you can do that will actually allow you to do this in a real way that isn't vague, but will get you some interesting results, okay? So when it comes to identifying your ideal customer, usually the way that I've heard this described, it's very vague. It's like, find your avatar. This is the this is Franklin. He's 23.75 years old and he lives in uh, the suburbs of Milwaukee and he drinks Pabst, yeah, Blue Ribbon. Like, no, shut up. No, 
We're we're gonna we're gonna be more specific and real than that. Okay, this is the way I did this process recently, and it allowed me to see some blind spots of where I was not serving my audience, and there's some clear ways to address that in the coming years. So here's what I want you to do: instead of creating some fake avatar that doesn't exist, that's vague and will not help you, select three to six of your ideal customers. If you're a B2B person, maybe it's a director, an art director that's hired you or cast you in something, or um, maybe it's uh, an audience member or a true fan um, if you're a B2C business. But just list six ideal customers, people who you're like, these are the people that I get up in the morning and make creative work for. When I started thinking about the podcast, it was so obvious to me. I could list six people off the top of my head of like, these are the people who I make the podcast for week after week. Write those six people down. Now I want you to explore these six people. Who, what do they have in common? Now, surprise yourself. Reach a little bit. I was actually really surprised by a few of these things that I hadn't really directly addressed on the podcast that all six of these people had. There were two things that I noticed about these six people that I hadn't really addressed head on. One was they're deep people. That kind of expresses in spirituality for some of them. Some of them, their spiritual practice is less um, otherworldly, if you will, but they're, they're but they're spiritual people. Whether it's an atheist medit with a serious meditation practice, or you know, woo woo crystal person on the other side of the spectrum, they're all everything in between. But the audience of Creative Pep Talk are deep people, and they're spiritual people. Now, I don't want to make a spiritual podcast. I don't want to be a spiritual guru. But there's a lot of ways that I can address this. We're going to get this to that in just a second. The other thing I noticed is all of these people, like me, have some kind of self-proclaimed burden. You know, we talk, I talk a lot about, you know, being neurodivergent, neurodiversity on this podcast. I have ADHD and it's impacted my life in huge ways that aren't funny. Okay, like ADHD is, you know, treated as a joke in this country and it's not. I've seen it in my life and I've seen those exact patterns in lives of people that I care about and and I've seen it really affect their ability to thrive within our society and it means something. Now, not everybody on that list has ADHD. I don't even know if any of them did um, self-proclaimed, but I noticed each one of them. I had had specific conversations with them and they had talked about it online with a serious burden or hurdle, be it uh, a, a speech impediment or, or being a, a teen parent and having to work through that to become what they became. Or uh, maybe it was something neurodiversity. Maybe it was a disability. It was some kind of thing that said they had to approach life differently in order to survive. And actually, I think that's the heart of this podcast. To me, creativity is just about going about things differently. And for the people that listen to this podcast, they have to go into career 
through creative means. They have to find a back window or a hidden path or a, pl- a, a way that is not the norm. And most of those people have to do it because they are carrying some particular burden. And if that speaks to you anyway, if you're feeling either of these things, it's because of doing the process of finding those blind spots and tapping into who is listening to this show. And if you feel seen right now, it is because of that process. And if you want your audience and your potential audience to have that kind of experience, I encourage you to go through niching down to your ideal customers. If you're feeling it right now, you can do the same thing by going through this process. List your ideal customers that you've already had and just think about, I want more of these types of people. Find their patterns. Figure out what are the places where I'm not serving them. And you can do two things with those things. One, they become creative prompts for content. They become things that can influence the episodes we do on the show. As illustration, they become, you know, things that we can do comics about or or Instagram posts about directly so we can serve those people. The, The last thing you can do is you can pursue opportunities in those blind spots. I can find spiritual or spiritual adjacent podcasts to do collaborations with. I can find, uh, you know, publications about disabilities and, and, and neurodiversity that I can do illustration for and do collaborations with. And so if you will figure out what are those blind spots before you just blast into the passing lane, if you'll look and, and check those blind spots, you are going to be able to serve your audience in such a bigger way and your potential audience in such a bigger way than you ever could any other way. All right, let's do a little recap because uh, there's a lot of juicy tips in this episode um, <laughs> that are all I'm really excited about. You know, I, I worked through this episode a few different times before we actually got it right. And through all of those layers, it just got the um, more killer, less filler all the way through, baby. Um, so here's here's what it is. There's We're talking about growing your audience. And as we want to grow in 2021 and we want to grow who we're reaching and we want to grow our practice before we do that we got to do a few things before switching lanes first you got to do the turn signal that's number one communicate where you're going don't leave it a mystery don't bury the best creative gold you have and you can do this by giving it context through an elevator pitch or through covering doing a cover song whether you make songs or not the second thing is check your mirrors. You got to find who reflect your values and your sensibilities. But we can look to brand partners with syndication and giveaways. But we can also talk about creating a census communis highlights uh, on your Instagram or an Instagram account where you feature a a a group that has a sensitivity in common. That kind of common sense, a census communis, if you will. Will you? Number three is check your blind spot. 
where are you not serving your audience? To do this, we got to niche down. We got to talk about finding our ideal customer, writing down those patterns, and, and figuring out where are we not showing up for the people that we serve, so that we can do a much better job in the future. That's the summary of this episode. Thanks for tuning in. I hope this uh, episode pepped you out of your freaking mind, man. So you can't help but make a billion things this week. That's how I'm feeling right now after making the episode. Hope you loved it. Uh, quick little thing. We have the new 2021 calendars hot off the presses. These babies are tasty. They're juicy. It's just, does it get funnier or less funnier than most? Don't answer that, okay? Um, We have a full-size calendar this year, the first time we've ever done. This is our fourth calendar. Definitely my favorite. We took it to the next level, and we did that with our print sponsor, Jack Prince. Jack Prince are fantastic. They're based not just in the U.S., but here in the great state of Ohio, where I am just a few hours away from me. I've worked with them for a long time. Most of our posters are printed by them, and the only reason some of them aren't is because we we left other print partners to pretty much exclusively make posters through Jack Prints. Um, we just uh, put fresh Invisible Things posters up in the shop. You can go to creativepeptalk.etsy.com and get those as well. Uh, gorgeous print. Love it. Love working with them. They make great booklets, little sketchbooks, all kinds of cool stuff that you can turn into merch or giveaways or gifts for clients this year. Go check it out, jackprints.com. And don't forget to pick up that 2021 calendar. When they're gone, they're gone. Okay. Thanks, Jack Prince. Huge thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Sophie Miller for talking me through a bunch of this stuff and helping this episode be the best thing it could be. Thanks to uh, Sophie Miller as my wife. Um, Sophie Pizza, you could call her, but she doesn't, she doesn't like pizza as much as I do. Um, Thanks to Alex Sugg for the soundtrack. Thanks to Jordan Aaron for the beautiful editing. Thanks to Ryan Appleton for uh, management and content assistance. And thanks to all of you for showing up every week. I hope this gave you such a huge dose of creativity that you can't hardly stand still. Uh, And until we speak again, you know what to do. Stay pepped up.